Welcome to What She Said. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. We're all trapped in a 24-hour news cycle, and it's easy to get sucked into the negativity. So to kick off today's show, I thought I'd share a bit of good news. This week, a 10-year-old Ontario boy, Cohen Lane, has raised over $6,000 for sick kids with his hot chocolate stand. Madonna announced a world tour, and the ozone layer is on track to fully recover by 2066 in a sweet bit of good news for our environment. As for the stuff we do have to contend with, well, we'll take a look at some of that with today's guests. Here's what's coming up. If you haven't used ChatGPT or similar AI platforms yet, trust me when I say you will. AI is here to stay, and with it comes a host of concerns for your privacy and security. Thankfully, we have Cat Code on the case. Cat helps individuals and corporations better understand cybersecurity and data privacy and joins me today to discuss what we all should be thinking about when using artificial intelligence. Until recently, menopause was a topic we didn't openly discuss. Thankfully, that's changing, and there are a host of organizations and experts leading the charge to help educate women on this time of life that can last anywhere from 7 to 14 years. Samantha Mumpetit-Wynn is an online health coach who specializes in helping women 40-plus navigate menopause and midlife through her comprehensive coaching program. She joins me today to share her thoughts on hormone therapy. Anne Brody jumps in with a female-centric Saturday Night at the Movies this week, starting with a closer look at Sarah Pauly's gut-wrenching adaptation of Miriam Tao's book, Women Talking. This fact-based story follows a group of women from a conservative religious colony who meet to discuss how to respond to a series of sexual assaults in their community and the steps they should take. Do nothing, stay and fight, or leave. We also chat about the documentary Ever Deadly that follows throat singer Tanya Takak's transformation of sound with an eye to colonial fallout, natural freedom, and Canadian history. Burlesque, as we know it in North America, is an art form that has stood the test of time since the mid-1800s. Lauren Giles, a.k.a. Lulu La Duchesse Derriere, is an internationally renowned neo-burlesque dancer and teacher hailing from Quebec. Voted into the Burlesque Top 50 by 21st Century Burlesque and currently ranked the second most influential burlesque figure in the world, Lulu has also made history by becoming the first Indigenous woman to be crowned New Orleans Queen of Burlesque. She joins me to share how she fell into this career path and her journey to the top. Have you ever heard of the motherhood penalty? Even if you haven't, there's a good chance you've been dinged by it. Alison Venditti from Moms at Work joins me to share how the motherhood penalty shows up in places of employment, how the fatherhood bonus plays out, and what you can do to help change this reality. Finally, Ali Cribb is a star on the rise in Canada, and her new album, Unbroken, is leaving an indelible mark on listeners, with thousands of streams each week, dozens of media reviews, and a finalist spot in the Song Academy Competition's international category. Allie joins me to share a little about her songwriting process before we play the single California for you in its entirety at the end of today's show. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now. ChatGPT is a highly advanced AI program that is capable of providing sophisticated responses in human language. It can be used for a wide range of purposes, from writing essays and constructing presentations to engaging in casual conversation. ChatGPT's artificial intelligence is so advanced that it can even generate its own content and ideas. While it has many valuable uses, it is important to recognize that like all technology, it also comes with risks and potential downsides. Cat Code is the founder of Binary Tattoo. Binary for the language of all things digital, tattoo for the permanence of what goes online. Backed by two decades of experience in mobile development and software architecture, Cat helps individuals and corporations better understand cybersecurity and data privacy. She joins me today to discuss the pros and cons of ChatGPT. Welcome back to the show, Cat. Thank you so much. So, I mean, this is pretty basic, but let's just define what AI is. 
Absolutely. Okay, so AI stands for artificial intelligence. And then the other term you will often hear is ML, which is machine learning. And they get interchanged, but they're actually different things. So the, the terminology we hear the most is algorithm. Um, algorithm is a bunch of decisions that a computer makes about what happens. So we always use it for social, right? The algorithms have changed and now my feed is in a mess. Why? Um, so, so the way we create artificial intelligence, which is the ability for a computer to make decisions like a human, is to use machine learning. So we train it. Is we school it. We have this machine learning where we bring in data and we say, hey, machine, this is what you're going to do. This can be as simple as you're on a retail site and a little chat bot pops up and it says, hi, what would you like to do? And you type in the word returns. And so the machine learning says, anytime you see the word returns, then ask these six questions, which is, are you returning? Have you already returned? Are you waiting for your refund? All that kind of wonderful stuff. So that's the machine learning. The chat GPT is called a the GPT part is a generative pre-trained transformer. And generative, like you just said, is because it generates its own content. So this is so clever and intelligent that it isn't just taking a decision tree and saying, hey, because you asked for returns, let me do returns. It's saying, how do I talk to you in a way that you understand? And then how do I generate content for you that actually responds to what you're asking. I had an interview last week on the show. We talked about how ChatGPT chat, chat may affect people who make a living in writing. And overall, though, I'm seeing very mixed responses on how people are responding. And I think largely a lot of people aren't understanding how huge of a leap this is in AI. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. So again, the bulk of the AI we've had in the past is how do we manipulate data? How do we take a face and then recognize it and then make a prediction about it? It was often a prediction, not so much a creation of content. And this this thing seems to have like a life of its own. It's clever. It's clever. It can create poetry. Like you said, it can create writing. It's not just putting together words in a sentence. It can actually come up with um, um, visual AI, like it can come up with something that is new and different and artistic. And that's where this is kind of a different thing. So there are people who are going to find many benefits from using ChatGPT, but there are concerns about it. And one of the biggest ones you mentioned to me was algorithmic, algorithmic bias. Yes. Uh, can you expand on that one? Absolutely. So it is only as good as what you teach it. Like, again, I just think you have to teach the algorithm. You have to teach it what to do. You have to teach it so that when it asks you for something, it gives you back an answer that actually matches. And what's happened historically with a lot of social media as well is we have algorithmic bias, which means whoever creates the algorithm, whoever teaches the robot is going to add their own bias. And statistically and stereotypically, it has often been young white men. So we have an algorithmic bias in most products against women, against people of color, against people who are older, against people with disabilities. And they, it's not noticed by the people who create it, and it's not noticed by the people who test it. And so when it gets into the market, we've already got a disadvantage to all of these users who are trying to use these products. We were talking before this as well. We were saying that, you know, you were... You mentioned it costs $100,000 a day to run this. And yes. that's going to become bigger and bigger as more and more people turn to it. So it will likely move to a paid model. What are the concerns when that happens? So again, we've got discriminatory pieces here. I mean, if, if kids are potentially using this to write essays, children with money can use it to create better essays for entrances to colleges and universities. Um, can have it do their homework for them. Uh, it is it is an unfair advantage for sure, but it is also an advantage that shouldn't be used. Uh, it means, you know, one person is, is creatively trying to come up with all their SEO and marketing and someone else is now paying to have ChatGPT create it for them. So it's essentially like they've hired an employee to do it, um, but but they're paying for that model. So people with money, companies with money are going to be an advantage because they will have access to this AI in a way that that individuals without money will not. 
So let's talk about uh, personal data and information then. Do you have guidelines or recommendations of what people should and should not be entering into ChatPT right now? Yeah, so this this is a very big issue because a lot of the regulators are starting to include ethical use of AI. That is a very big thing. In fact, Canada has an AI privacy regulation that is supposed to be coming in in the next few years so that companies that are using AI are using it in a way, again, that isn't biased, that is ethical, that isn't putting people at harm. ChatGPT is not under these regulations, which means other people could put your data in and then it could manipulate it. Um, One of the interesting things that ChatGPT has is they have a model where individuals can rate the answers. So if someone came in and said something that was inaccurate about you or deflammatory and enough people said that, no, no, that's true, that's accurate, that's true. Well, now that becomes the source of truth in ChatGPT that that information about you is accurate when it isn't. So it's one of those things, very much like Instagram, you can put your information on or not, but if someone takes a picture of you and puts it up there, you're now at the mercy of others. So should you be careful with the personal information you put in? Absolutely. But unfortunately, because of the lack of regulations around it, the bigger risk is what other people could put in. So I guess then people listening, uh, probably who have maybe not been in and playing with it, should they sign up? Do you have concerns? Do you, t- do you think people should avoid it until it is uh, better defined? I don't think it's ready yet. And, and that's it. So, th- so the terminology that's been given to it is that it has plausible sounding incorrect answers. And there are, there are examples all over the place online. You could just probably Google like ChatGPT wrong answers. Um, someone said, which mammal has the largest sized egg? And very confidently, it said the elephant is the largest mammal and its eggs range from nine inches to 14 inches in diameter. Um, so, but it's, it's not just that it says the elephant again, it, it fabricated this whole factual answer about the size of the egg that the elephant comes from. Um, so there's a lot of that there. It's not Google. Like I think people think, oh, it's, it's a human language Google. Uh, and it isn't yet. There are companies that are using it. I've seen like good uses out of mental health actually, where, um, it was able to fabricate better questions and answers to people who were struggling in a conversational way um, that allowed them to deal with things. But if it gives them the wrong information, then we're going to be back to this again. So I think it's it's like you said, it is revolutionary. It is we are on the cusp of something huge, but I don't think it's ready quite yet. What about plagiarism? I'm curious about this because if I went in and I've been playing with ChatGPT, uh, you know, I am so curious and fascinated by this. However... I could go in and say, let's write a story about this and just take its whole story and publish it. Who wrote that, me or ChatGPT? And how do we check? Yeah, and that is that is a million dollar question right now. So a lot of the industries, um, like medical industries, journals, they've all said, hey, you are not allowed to submit anything that was created by AI. This has to be human written. You have to sign off on it. But of course, a high school student who intends to cheat is a high school student that intends to cheat, right? Like they're not going to they're not going to they're going to sign the thing and then they're going to still print it off. There isn't currently a way electronically to check and we don't have enough of it. Like if every single kid in the country was asking for the same thousand word essay about Julius Caesar, well, then maybe it would start to produce the same one and we'd be able to verify. But at this point, there is no way to know uh, what has actually come out of this chat GPT and what is actually coming out of somebody. Unless, again, it's factually incorrect. Wow. Interesting, interesting times ahead. I think we're going to have so many conversations about this cat going forward. So I want people to be able to find you in the meantime, because you're always sharing great information. So where can they do that? Uh, You can find me on my own websites, which is binarytattoo.com or catcode.com. Or you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at at binarytat um, and on LinkedIn. All right. Incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kat. Thank you so much. More of What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up. And now back to What She Said. Here's Candace Sampson. In this next interview, we take a look at a topic that affects every woman, yet it is often not talked about enough menopause. Our healthcare and education system is lacking in providing knowledge and support for women during this time. And that's where my next guest, Samantha Mumpty-Wynn, comes in. 
With over 20 years of experience in the fitness industry, Samantha is an online health coach who specializes in helping women 40 plus navigate menopause and midlife through her comprehensive coaching program. She's also an author, speaker, teacher, and media expert who was recently featured on CBC's The National. So stick with us as Samantha shares her insights and tips on how to feel strong and confident during menopause. Welcome to What She Said, Samantha. Thank you so much. What a nice intro. I appreciate it. You know, it's funny, before the interview, I said to you, we'll just quickly like skip over what menopause is because most people know what it is. And you said, surprisingly, people don't. So let's give a definition to it. Yes, I'll give you the really quick Coles notes. So when you hear me on, on social media, other people talk about menopause. Menopause in itself is only one day. It's literally the last day of the 12th month of no menses. All the time leading up to that is perimenopause. And that can range anywhere between three to 10 years in length. And then any all the time after that is postmenopause. But menopause in itself is only one day. But most people like us who are influencers and talking about menopause, when we say the word menopause, going through menopause, we're really talking about a large span of time. And boy, that time can be a very long time as I found out. <laughs> let's talk mm -hmm. about let's talk about hormones, though, because that seems to be the big thing women want to know more about. Yes. So, um, you know, I heard a, uh, a, a gentleman that I follow on Instagram, and he talked about how hormones, you know that you're off when your hormones are off. And then you're on, you're feeling good when your hormones are balanced and they're working well. And Really, I, I like to tell people that hormones are like the puppeteer and we are the puppets, right? So if, like I said, if, if we're not feeling off, there's something usually going on hormonally. So our two main sex hormones, which are affected the most, but all of our hormones are affected during menopause, is estrogen and progesterone. And they are, they're like BFFs and they balance each other out. So before menopause, when we're no longer menstruating, uh, in the first half of your cycle, estrogen is being released by your ovaries. And estrogen really is that feel good hormone. It gives you all its curves in its right places, helps with um, bone law, uh, sorry, bone density, sorry, um, and muscle. Um, it helps with um, your energy, and it really helps with metabolism. But it also has a very important role in heart health and brain health. Okay. And it is like I said, it's released in the first half of your cycle. The second half of your cycle is when progesterone is released from the ovaries. And so if, if estrogen is like the partier, progesterone is the one that likes to play it safe. Progesterone is the one that really helps you to manage stress, um, along with cortisol, which is our stress hormone, but also the one that helps to store uh, food for pregnancy, right? So not to say that you're trying to get pregnant when you're in perimenopause, or maybe you are, um, but this is the one that really helps to calm the system down, stores food, and is also why you feel like you need to just kind of roll up in a blanket in the corner and eat chocolate and nourish yourself because that is progesterone's role. So the two of them, you want to have a nice equilibrium, a light a nice balance, but these are the two main um, hormones that have the biggest impact when we're going through perimenopause and menopause. And they, you know, they are just thrown into complete chaos in perimenopause, as I have learned myself. And there seems to be a mm -hmm. lot of hangups. Women have a lot of hangups about taking hormone uh, therapy. So yes. what are your thoughts on that? Personally, I, and this is a very personal experience and everybody has to make their own decision. They also have to make a, a decision that they feel comfortable with. But I have done a lot of research myself on HRT, so hormone replacement therapy. And for me, I think it's magic. And I know that there's a lot of other health professionals. I remember doing a, um, a menopause um, summit online a, a few months ago, and it was a week long and there was a naturopath and there's an OBGYN or a gy gynecologist actually. And they both said that they believe that women should be on hormones for the rest of their lives. And so the role of hormone replacement therapy is not to get the hormones where they were before menopause, but to get you to a point where you're feeling good, you're sleeping well, you have energy, like just basic things that we all deserve, right? But also have, like I said, those protective requirements for our heart, our brain, and our bones, right? And so when we think about perimenopause, so all that time leading up to menopause, 
progesterone out of the two main hormones is the one that drops the most significant. And if we also think about that, most women are at some degree of perimenopause in their 40s. That's also a very busy time in their lives, right? So whether they're, you know, they're climbing up the corporate ladder or they have, and now they have to manage that. Plus, they've got kids that they're running around to activities, they're managing the home, all of it's a very busy and stressful life. But now that hormone that helps them to manage stress is no longer there at the levels that it was before. So this is also a time where women feel like they can't manage stress as well as before. It's like, what's happening? I've been able to do this all this time. And now I feel like I can't cope. Um, this is also a time where some women start experiencing more depressive episodes, they might go on an antidepressant. And I, I hate to say this, because I don't like this word. But a lot of women will come to me and say, I feel like I'm going crazy. And that is a hormonal response. But then when you get closer to menopause, that time where you're no longer menstruating, that's when estrogen really starts to go down too, right? And that's when women will also notice more weight gain, because like I said, estrogen is very much responsible for muscle mass, metabolism, and bone health. And there also when a time when maybe a lot more women will start feeling those um, vasomotor uh, symptoms, like the, the hot flashes and the night sweats and the brain fog, and they can't, they can't focus. And I mean, I feel like I'm not in menopause yet because I've had my hormones tested, but I, but the only way I would know is to, is to do that because I, like you, I had a hysterectomy um, almost 10 years ago. So I don't have a cycle to follow. So I did have my hormones tested, which I really am a big believer in. Um, I know that there are a lot of doctors out there who believe that you don't need to have your hormones tested before you start HRT. They'll do it simply by symptoms. Um, but then at the same time, I'm kind of like, well, how do you know what I'm lacking or how much I need without having some sort of a baseline to start with, right? But that's my own personal um, opinion on that one. Okay, this is a huge huge topic. I've talked about it before on the show. We will talk about it many, many more times uh, because we're so uneducated about this really massive part of our lives. So uh, Samantha, I can't thank you enough for jumping on to today's show. And you are clearly sharing information like this all the time. I want people to be able to follow you and connect. You're a wealth of information. So where's the best place to do that? Thank you so much. Well, my website is samcortrainer.com and you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook under the same handles at samcortrainer and I'm always sharing information and uh, yeah, if anybody needs any help, they can just reach out and I'm, I'm happy to help them. Okay, we're going to have you back again. Thanks so much, Samantha. Thank you so much. It's time for Saturday Night at the Movies with Ann Brody and this week we're going to focus in on a couple of movies, documentaries that have a strong female focus. Let's start with Women Talking from Sarah Polly, Anne. Well, you know, finally it's opening wider. It's been uh, the, at TIFF for a bit and a couple of special presentations. Now everyone can see what people are talking about. Uh, Sarah's taken Miriam Toe's book, uh, Women Talking, she was a Mennonite who an ex she is an ex Mennonite and this is her story and Sarah's adapted it she's changed the gender of the narrator from a male to a female but it's about these women on a uh, in a colony and an all star cast um, and they have repeatedly been sexually abused physically abused emotionally abused tortured in fact, by their men, by their husbands, by their brothers, by their sons. And they're told that they didn't do it. It was Satan. So this is this whole gaslighting thing. Uh, so the women, the men are in jail until somebody bails them out and someone's going to bail them out. So they have very limited time to figure out what to do. They've got to choose between staying and fighting, doing nothing or leaving. So all these amazing actors are in a hayloft discussing all the permutations of what it would mean, what each decision would mean. It would mean them leaving their sons. It would mean a life change that's very uncertain. Uh, so it's just, it's a fascinating watch. It's also devastating. You know, they don't say it, but one of the characters played by Sheila McCarthy comes in. She, she has false teeth. Well, you know that somebody knocked her teeth out. Other characters come in with completely scarred faces. You know that they've been beaten, and recently. 
So there's so many undercurrents. It's very upsetting. But the will and the intelligence and the problem solving of these women is absolutely amazing. And you know, this is a kind of film that bears watching a few times. Um, as I said, Sarah adapted the screenplay brilliantly. And you know, her lighting, I asked her about her lighting. It's all very faded and brown. And she said that it's to reflect brokenness and oldness that needs to be fixed. And that's precisely what they decide to do. So, you know, it's pretty stunning. It's contemplative, sad, and yet extraordinarily hopeful. Yeah, I, you know, I watched the trailer. I've watched the trailer about six or seven times. I'm obsessed. <laughs> um, I, I think Frances McDormand is one of the best actresses out there. Uh, I, I love her. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. But, Honestly, this story is so compelling that I ordered the book um, because of oh, the trailer. Yeah, so I'm going to read the book first and uh, and then watch the the movie because I um, it's a very compelling story and I think it's one that a lot of women will relate to on some level. Uh, we've all had horrible experiences. Many of us have had horrible experiences over the years. So I think this movie is going to draw in a strong female audience. Um, and you mentioned prior to this interview that a lot of men don't like it. And, and as I said to you, I'm not a big fan no. of Rambo. <laughs> this movie wasn't made for men. And so uh, this is about women talking. So let's, uh, let's support it and Sarah Pauly by getting out to see it. I also wanted to focus yes, on ever deadly this holy mackerel yeah this was um i almost think this should be required uh to watch it's it's a fascinating story and it it helps us understand indigenous canadians much better our indigenous people yeah well tanya takak and 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 the filmmaker chelsea mulligan they've made this film that takes place partly in an incredible concert she gives, and partly at home up in Cambridge Bay, which is all shale. And of course, uh, Tanya's a, uh, an activist protecting the seal hunt because her people depend upon it. She's a murdered and missing women and girls advocate. There's so much meat in this film, but her performances as a throat singer, I'm getting shivers now just thinking about it. It's a style of uh, Arctic singing that I'm sure most of us have seen or heard, but she does it herself, not with a partner, which is the way it's normally done, over you know a couple of hours, and it you can't believe what you're seeing and hearing. It's it's mystical in a way, and it's so powerful, and I admire her so much. And of course, then she takes us to visit her elders who tell us about the great relocation in Canada when her people were promised education, food and housing and kicked out of their country because we wanted the resources. And of course, they were put, given nothing. So now she has the Order of Canada. She's won the Polaris Music Prize and she's won Juno's. Uh, and, you know, when I was thinking about her songs that she sings, song is such a tight definition. This is beyond song. It's almost like a soul out there. So I would highly recommend it. It's in select theaters now, and then it's going to be streaming on the NFB later in the year. So keep an eye out for Ever Deadly. Okay. You know what? We spent so much time talking about these two movies. We're out of, <laughs> we're out of time, Anne. But thankfully, uh, you have these up on, on the website. You have more for people to catch. And um, I, you know, I'm sorry I consumed your time with these two films, but I was just so drawn to them Very because important. strong, strong, strong women in them. So, uh, so and thank that's you. that's us, right? Yep, exactly. That's yeah. what, she, what she said is all about. All right, Anne. Thanks so much. Yep. We'll see you next week. All right. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming right up. La, 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 la. And now, back to what she said. Here's Candace Sampson. Lauren Giles, also known as Lulu La Duchess Derriere, is an internationally renowned neo burlesque dancer and teacher, hailing from Gananague, Quebec. 
She also made history recently by becoming the first Indigenous woman to be crowned New Orleans Queen of Burlesque. She joins me now to discuss. Welcome to the show, Lou. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I read this story. I was absolutely fascinated. I don't think I know a lot about burlesque, uh, but I just feel this is such a huge achievement for you. So can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you got started in the world of burlesque? Absolutely. Um, So I was born in the States, but I was raised in Gunawage, which is a Mohawk reserve just outside of Montreal. Um, From the age of five to 18, I discovered musical theater and I was a theater kid for most of my life. So uh, I did this on the reservation uh, with a company called the Turtle Island Theater Company, which is a wonderful program for uh, youth, Indigenous youth. Uh, Shortly after that, I started uh, college and I could no longer do the rehearsal schedule. So that was a big part of my life that was just shortly like snipped. And um, yeah, I kind of experienced my first wave of depression and I realized I didn't have a creative outlet so my friend at the time was telling me that she's like you know you should try burlesque and she sent me this MySpace ad for a live audition with a burlesque troupe in Montreal and I was a few weeks I think it was a few weeks after my 18th birthday so I wrote them and they're like yeah sure you have to just put together a number but it's a live audition so you're auditioning in front of an audience and I was you know, I, I remember like working on my routine in my kitchen and my mom would come over. I would be sewing or like, you know, just practicing some dance moves. And I put together this number and, you know, first few seconds on stage, it's very addictive. I was hooked. And yep, fast forward 17 years and I'm here now. So how has your experience been then performing and touring internationally? Yeah, um, I think it's definitely gone through waves. Um, I started touring more because I was really frustrated uh, with my local scene. Uh, It was a very, very different um, makeup a few years ago. Like, let's say 15 years ago, it was very difficult to get stage time, um, especially if you didn't kind of check certain boxes. So I decided, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to just see what else is out there. I'm going to start doing the festival circuit. I did my first festival, I want to say in 2013 or 2012, and that was New Orleans. So I went to New Orleans uh, Burlesque Festival. Oh, sorry, I stand corrected. It was in uh, 2010, it was the Toronto Burlesque Festival. That was the first one I ever did. And then from there, I went to New Orleans, I went to Texas, and I would, I would just, it, it was very, very expensive. I was hop on a train, a bus, a plane, like whatever I could take to get me there the cheapest. I would stay on friends' couches. I would make new friends. Um, and yeah, just to get out there and get my name, uh, you know, in in front of more people. I I did a lot of festivals and smaller events um, outside of the city. And then I started doing competitions. So I did my first competition in 2016, and that was in New Orleans. I did 2017, and then in 2018, I won my first competition. Uh, and that was amazing. So that's the competition you mentioned before. That was the New Orleans Queen of Burlesque competition. And that was a classic burlesque competition with a live band, which was amazing to do that. Um, and then this past, oh, actually, yeah, past year, I won Miss Exotic World, which is like the Olympics of burlesque. It's the highest title in our industry. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's been a really, really wild ride. Um, I'm also in that time became a mom. Uh, so that was a lot of work to balance traveling, performing, and being a mom. <laughs> now it's a part of our everyday life. Well, we don't have a lot of time left, but I really wanted to just sort of hone in quickly on what it means to you to be the first Indigenous woman to be crowned Miss, um, sorry, New Orleans Queen of Burlesque. And also, I imagine as an Indigenous woman, are you might be one of a few in the space. Is that true? Well, I think that, that definitely the the makeup of the scene is changing. Um, I think when I came onto the scene, there was not a lot of representation um, of Indigenous bodies on stage. And I want to change that. So um, 
it's very it's been very important my whole career that people know where I'm from, the community that I'm from and what I do. Um, I try to mentor as many Indigenous people as I can uh, and make these beautiful connections throughout. And yeah, it just means the world to me. We're more and more every year. It's a really, really amazing scene. People people can't see me because this is audio, but I've had the biggest grin on my face uh, talking to you. You're just incredible and completely inspiring. And I think burlesque is just beautiful. I, I absolutely love it. Uh, so where can people find you, keep up with you, or maybe catch you in a show? Absolutely. Well, I'm actually packing my bags for New Orleans, um, and that'll be bouncing around between Vancouver, Miami, uh, Ohio. Like I have, a, I have a bunch of shows, um, but you can check all my shows out. Um, I post them on Instagram. So that's um, at Lulu LaDuchesse. Um, my Twitter handle is 514 Miss Lulu, uh, Miss Lulu 514. Um, and then I have my website, uh, which is the best way to reach me. And that's luluburlesque.com, L-O-U-L-O-U burlesque.com. Amazing. I am really looking forward to following along with your journey. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Have a great day. Becoming a mother is one of life's greatest joys. But as with most things, there's often a flip side. Studies have shown that mothers are often paid less than non-mothers and are less likely to be promoted or offered high-level positions. It's called the motherhood penalty. Alison Venditti is founders of Moms at Work, Canada's largest and most trusted community of working moms. Moms at Work is a 10,000 plus member organization providing working mothers with training, advocacy, career opportunities, networking, and community. Alison joins me now to shine a light on the motherhood penalty. Welcome back, Alison. Hi, thanks for having me. I have to actually double check, you know, I I wrote this introduction. Are you still 10,000 strong? I feel like you're probably bigger now. Yeah, we're like fifteen. <laughs> yeah, I, fig- I figured I figured you'd grown in the in the few months since we've talked. Uh, you you just continue to expand this network, which is incredible. Uh, but let's let's talk about the motherhood penalty. So I mentioned you know being paid less and so on. Are there other indicators that you are being hit with this penalty? So it, it it's it sort of hits all over the place, which is why it's so hard to to pin down. Um, and what. Part of the motherhood penalty is the addition of something called the fatherhood bonus. So while women, when they have children, are seen as less reliable, less motivated, less ambitious, um, even though none of those are true, it's a bias. Men, when they have children, are seen as more reliable. They're seen as better leaders. They're seen as you know having a family responsibility. Uh, so so it sort of hits on both sides. Um, but we it, it shows up everywhere, even in hiring. Like studies have shown that, you know, prospective employers call mothers back about half as often as non-mothers. And I was like, that's that's a bonkers number. And so this bias, I mean, we're all sort of guilty of it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and what are some of the questions that um, women may get in, say, a job interview that would show that this employer holds a bias against mothers? We get lots of really blatant and non-blatant. So, you know, uh, is that going to be, you know, is that going to be hard because you have a baby? Um, you know, are you going to be able to travel because you have a baby? Um, don't worry about that promotion. Um, you know, you've got a lot going on at home, right? Like those are things that, those are not like anecdotal. Those are things that people are told that like our members have told us that are still happening today. So there's an assumption that because you have a child, um, that that you're less committed and, and that, you know, you would prefer to be with them. <laughs> the best part is that like when women, you know, um, CEO of Yahoo, all sorts of things, when women do not prescribe to that maternal method, they're judged harshly as well. They're told that they're not a good mother because they're focusing too much on work. Right. So like, it's like you can't win. I saw you post, uh, well, I saw this post you put on Instagram and I saw one of the commenters say, you know, I was in a job interview and somebody asked me how I would juggle my job and ha- being a mother. And I thought, that's crazy to me. Does, is anybody asking the men this? Right. So then how do we push back? I mean, I, I mean, I imagine the first thing is we say, that's not an appropriate question. Are those questions legal? No, they're not legal. They're totally illegal. You're not allowed, you're not allowed to uh, like comment or co- like question family status. Family status is protected under human rights in Canada. Um, it's also just dumb, right? Like that's that whole notion that you would have to reflect on someone's personal life. Like, you know, nobody asks people like, do you have an elderly parent at home who's going to need a lot of things? Like that there's because of the bias, that's the focus. 
Um, so, you know, and we talk a lot about even in terms of money, um, women are paid five cents less on the dollar every time, like for every child they have. Right. Like it's, it's significant and that ramps up over over time. But but there are things that we can do about it. There's lots of things that we can do to help make it better. I'm interested to know is does that is the reverse true for men? Yes. Do they does their pay go up yes. for every child they have? Yes. That's what the fatherhood bonus is. I'm sorry. I'm, I, I, I'm, I have a little bit of stunned silence here right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the study was actually out of UBC um, and uh, done a, several years ago around fathers. And fathers were perceived to be more competent, uh, even though they had no performance to prove that. Um, it was just a, a bias associated once men have children. Okay, well, we could spend all day talking about how unfair yeah. this is and everything. But how are you helping then the members of Moms at Work deal with the motherhood penalty? So we've done a few things. One is that we're huge advocates for pay transparency. I think when you are transparent with pay, um, it it reduces a lot of the ability to to carry over the bias. Um, so, you know, women are judged when they negotiate. Men are encouraged to negotiate. Pay transparency puts it out there and everybody kind of starts on the same foot, which is really helpful. Um, we launched a program called My Parental Leave, which we're going to be making big changes to. And it's to teach teach women specifically their rights during during the time when they, when they were pregnant or having having a baby, because that's when a, that's when it starts, and people are just unaware of what their rights are, um, and, and we see a lot of people really get screwed um, because they're very unsure as to like if their employer can lay them off, um, you know, if they're entitled to a pay bump during their maternity leave. All these are questions that we see swirling all over the place. So we took the top hundred questions that we got and we made made a program out of it. Um, and then the the third thing that we do is I'm like. A, I feel as an organization, it's necessary for us not to just keep telling women how to change, but that we need to work within the systems. So we do a lot of work on advocacy. We work with the federal government. We've been active in the $10 day childcare. We're really trying to show up for, for people who don't have a lot of time to show up for themselves, um, to remind people that, that we matter um, and that you know we're a big part of your workforce um, and that we deserve better. Indeed, indeed we do. Allison, I can't thank you for all the hard work you do. You're incredible. Um, I think you need to be out talking to the employers as well. Um, so I want people to be able to find you, especially working mothers. Uh, so where can mm -hmm. they do that? Um, they can follow us on Instagram. We're at This Is Moms at Work. Um, we, are, we have a Facebook group, the Moms at Work Facebook group. Um, I'm, I'm all over LinkedIn. Uh, we do do a lot. So you can follow me at Allison Venditti or Moms at Work has a page as well. And we are do, starting to do a lot of work internally with employers who are really focused on trying to fix this. And I applaud them immensely um, from our work doing advocacy work. A lot of employers have come on side and said, hey, we want to do better with this. Can you help us? So we are doing a lot more work with employers now, which is really actually really exciting to see because that's where some of the biggest changes are. So LinkedIn, Instagram and uh, Facebook. All right. Incredible. Uh, I just, uh, I want to point out too to people that you are always doing uh, like lives in your group, sort of education yes. pieces. Uh, do you have a set routine for that? Um, we're trying to move them onto Instagram so that they're public so people can share them. Um, we're trying to do two a month, um, but we do things like we'll bring on employment lawyers. Um, we really need people to be able to ask those questions. I do lives about, you know, salary negotiation and that as well. But if you follow us on Instagram, um, we're trying to set up a, a bigger schedule. Um, but Instagram was more accessible for people because you don't have to be logged on to Instagram. Anybody can do that stuff. So we're just trying to make make sure that everybody can see our stuff. All right. Incredible. Allison, thank you so much for joining me today. It's always a pleasure to have you on. And I am so appreciative of all the hard work you put in for other moms. Thank you. Thanks for having me. More of What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up. And now, back to what she said. Here's Candace Sampson. An old soul is often used to describe someone who seems to have an understanding and perspective on life that is beyond their years. It is said that old souls have lived many lives and have an innate wisdom and maturity that comes from their experiences. My next guest is an old soul. Allie Cribb's voice is heavy with a soul that defies her 18 years. As a natural empath, Allie Cribb's experiences have given her songwriting sensitivity and resonance. Just like her heroes, Joni Mitchell, Sean Colvin, and Taylor Swift, what she sings demands to be felt. Allie joins me now to discuss her growing popularity before we play her latest single, California. Welcome to What She Said, Allie. 
Hi, thank you so much for having me. So how does your songwriting process work and, and what is the goal when you're writing your music? I think one reason why I'm so in love with songwriting and why I'm so fascinated by songwriting is that it happens differently every time. It unfolds differently every time. So most of the time, I'll take my guitar and I'll start with a chord progression. Um, I have a, a list of lyrics in my phone that I like to pull out from time to time. Uh, when I get an idea, I try to jot it down as quickly as I can and then I'll pull it out um, at different times of the day. Usually when I'm not trying to write a song, like when my mind is just blank, that's when I get all these ideas kind of buzzing around in my head. It's usually late at night. I don't know why that is. I guess that's kind of just when my brain starts to slow down from all the things we're thinking about every single day. But um, that's how it happened with California. It was late at night and I had this story in my head and my guitar was sitting right beside my bed. So I got up and I, I kind of just started to jot down very quickly um, everything that I was thinking about and kind of creating this story in this, this, this fairy tale world of these two characters. And so um, by like 2 a.m. that night, I had the, the first draft of the song written. So we're going to play that in a second. But I just want to know, how does it feel for you right now to know that your music is resonating with so many people? I mean, you are receiving thousands of streams, lots of positive media on this. How are you feeling? It's an absolute dream come true. It's crazy to think about how many people um, my music has reached. And especially in such a short amount of time, I, I just feel really proud that I've, I've gotten to create the project and I've gotten to do it alongside people that I love, like my dad and um, our sound engineer, Irma Sumit, who's incredible and such a genius in the studio. And uh, it's, it's exactly what I've been hoping for and dreaming about since I was 10 years old. So the fact that it's happening and it's really coming true, it's, it's um, really incredible to watch and to experience. All right. Well, we're going to play California for my listeners. But before we do, I want them to be able to keep up with you. So where can they find you? Uh, my socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, they're all at Ali G Crib. Um, I'm pretty active on there. I kind of post daily updates and lots of videos and lots of new content as it happens. So, uh, yeah. All right. We're going to put all of that in the notes on the podcast. And let's listen to California right now from Ali Crib. I whisper your name through the phone I beg you to come back home Unfamiliar laughter drowns out your voice I promise I'm fine on my Yeah. 
that's it for What She Said this week. Stay up to date with my newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also catch me on TikTok at Candace Said. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson wherever you listen to podcasts to catch past episodes and extended interviews. I'll be back next week with more What She Said. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer. Such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.